have a lot of visitors here today. I want to say welcome once again, those from near and far. We're glad that you're here with us. Uh, if you didn't pick up on it yet, let me just say it one more time, that we are in the middle of a series of messages about God's New Testament church. And uh, those principles on how God's church are to operate are scattered all over the New Testament. And they cover a lot of different topics. We've talked about what it even what is the church? What's its purpose? And what does it mean to be a part of it? How are we supposed to operate? What is the governmental organizational structure that God has provided? What are our roles in that as men and women and old and young and 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 the spiritual gifts God gives for serving in the church and what it even means to be in fellowship or a part of a local church like that and and there's a lot of different topics. And so today is a message that that um it's a little awkward to have visitors when you're talking about it because maybe you don't know a whole lot about us individually. But today we're going to be talking about New Testament giving. And there's always a danger with talking about giving because where your heart is and people just think you're out for money. That's a, you know, they interview people and say, why don't you go to church? Well, they just want my money. Well, maybe that's true in some places. We, we, we pray it's not true here and that no one would think that, but it reminds me, and by the way, um, there's a lot that New Testament says about giving, and so uh, I've put together a list of some of the principles to be found in the passages of Scripture where we're going to be going. So uh, uh, if you would like one, just raise your hand. If you didn't get one, you're still waiting. I think we still have some more. Uh, they're going to just pass it out while we start. And you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, which will be our first passage together uh, this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. But preparing for this message reminded me of something that happened to us the other summer while we were traveling up in New Jersey. We were invited to be a part of a, a, a vacation Bible school in New Jersey. And so we were traveling about 20 minutes from where we were staying to where the vacation Bible school was actually going to happen. And, you know, I'm not I've never lived in the Northeast, but but because that's the first stopping place of a lot of the settlers that came from Europe, there was a lot of churches that were built and and. And a lot of people were living by biblical principles, but little by little, people kind of have turned away from going to church, and a lot of people don't want anything to do with God. And so some of those churches have become other forms of business that have taken up residence there. I remember one of the landmarks is we were looking for the church we were going to turn into. It was a pest control agency, and they're off, as I looked at that, I said, that looks like it used to be a church. And so I asked, and sure enough, it, it was. And so I thought, okay, well, yeah, as I drove home, there's a little... uh cemetery out back. That's, you see a lot of those up in the in other parts of the country. And then as we were riding back and forth throughout the week, um, it became something that everyone was looking for. Oh, hey, there's a church. And hey, there's a church. And one one evening as we were traveling to a special meeting back there uh, for the finale of the VBS, um, my son looked up and he saw a church on the corner as we were sitting at the traffic light. He said, oh, there's a church. And someone said, uh, no, that, that's actually a bank. He's like, but, but, I mean, he could see the steeple, he could see everything. And, and so someone, before we could explain again, hey, listen, that's one of the places that used to be a place where they worshiped God, but now it's a bank. And someone said, yeah, now they worship money. And, uh, I thought to myself, how easy it is for the world to take a look at us as Christians, especially if we talk about money, and is to begin to think, well, they just want my money. It's all about the money. Well, it's not, but it is something that we all have to deal with, right? Uh, in fact, uh, several years ago, someone encouraged us to be a part of a Crown Financial 
Ministries Bible study where they spend 10 weeks looking through scripture to see what God's word has to say about money. And uh, there's about 2,300 plus verses that talk about money. 16 of Jesus' 38 parables involve money. And yet when it comes to heaven and hell and things that are extremely important, there's only about 500 or so verses that they've totaled. I mean, so why in the world would God talk so much about money? Well, I think one reason is because God's ways of dealing with it are different than the world's, and it's easy for us to buy into the world's thinking, and we'll do all the wrong things. And so he wants to set us straight. We can't avoid dealing with money in this world. We can try. But even if you've got plastic stuff and you don't carry cash, you're still, still dealing with financial things. And so it's important that we talk about it. And so as we're going through this series about the New Testament church, this is where we've come. And so if you're visiting here today, I just want to say we're not here to try to get your money. But the Bible does say that all of us will give account of our lives to God. And so since we all have to deal with financial things, it's good for us to know what God's principles are because we're all going to give account for that. And that's why I've asked you to turn to 1 Corinthians 4 as we begin here because the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Corinth and he would say this to them. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. He says, listen, God has entrusted to us the the manifold mysteries of God. And since he has entrusted these things to us, we are stewards of them. We are managers of what God has entrusted to us. And we will have to answer to him as to what we've done with these things that he's entrusted to us. Paul was an apostle given a very specific calling in ministry, and he says, we will give account to that stewardship that God has given to us, and what is required in a steward is that one be found faithful. And as we consider our stewardship to God, we would say, listen, there's lots of ways that we're accountable to Him, but He's given us all time. We don't know how much time that is, but we can spend it in a lot of different ways. We're going to give an account to God for how we've used the time in this life that He's given to us. He's given us all different talents, both physical talents, and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, spiritual gifts, talents, and abilities to serve God's people for His honor and glory. And we're going to have to give an account for how we've managed those talents He's given to us. He's also given us a certain measure of treasures of this world. And we're going to have to answer to God as to how we have managed the treasures that He has put into our hands. And so, since we're going to have to give an account, we're going to have to answer for it, may God help us to learn how he would have us to deal with them so we can be found faithful stewards of the things that he's entrusted to us. And perhaps with that introduction, why don't we just pause and go before the Lord, look to him in prayer as we consider this great topic this morning. Father, as we gather together this morning, we are just mesmerized by the grace that you have shown to us. Lord, we don't deserve the kindnesses you've given to us. We are like sheep that have gone astray, and uh, and yet you, as the good shepherd, have come after us to rescue us, to redeem us by our Savior paying his own precious blood to, to, to buy us back, that we can have a restored relationship to yourself, that as you are a part of our life, we can actually live it together with you, starting now. And when this life is over, spend forever with you in addition. And, and yet all these blessings and privileges and, and uh, 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 treasures 
that you have given to us. You ask us to be faithful with them. Would you please teach us and guide us and help us this morning as we look into these things? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, if you got one of those pieces of papers, I just kind of wrote at the top, we're going to talk about New Testament giving, or I said giving God's way in our day and age in the church. And, and if I had to boil it down to just two words, I like the way Mike did that this morning, kind of, if you, if you get it in a nutshell, we're going to call it grace giving. It's the way God has taught giving in the New Testament. It's all about grace. And so we're going to see that, I pray this morning, as we go through the passages that uh, we turn to. Now, I think I mentioned a little bit ago, at least I was thinking of it, uh, I want to ask the first initial question, why give? Right? If it's not something, well, God owns everything, right? Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything therein. In Leviticus 25, speaking of the laws of the land for the people of Israel, he said, listen, you shall not sell the land permanently. You can sell it for a period of time, then it's going to revert to its owner. And he gave instructions and he said, listen, because the land is mine, not yours. He goes on in Haggai chapter 2, and speaking of things, he says, listen, the silver is mine, the gold is mine. All the natural resources of this world belong to him. In Psalm 50, he says, every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. So if he owns everything in the world, even all the natural resources, gold, silver, the land, the cattle, he doesn't need anything from us. And yet he's taught us and, and commanded us to learn to give. So, so if it's not about if God has a need, well then, why do we give? Well, first of all, I'd say, and the, the opening here, we're just going to turn to a few passages from place to place. So if you'll just follow along with me, 1 Timothy 6. Paul was giving instruction to Timothy as he was left behind to, to continue to teach in various assemblies while Paul went on. He wrote him this letter and he said to Timothy in chapter 6 and verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy and let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give and willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. He says, listen, you command those who are rich in this world who have an excess that they be ready to share and willing to give. Command them to do this. So we're commanded to give. That's one reason. A second reason is found also in the same chapter. Look back in verses 9 and 10. It's to help make sure our hearts are in the right place. Right? 9 and 10, it says, But, but though, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and in many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. There is a danger that we would be sucked in by the love of money, becoming covetous to have more and more and to just keep on this cycle. And so he, he, he commands us to give. He says we need to guard our hearts to make sure it's in the right place. He even says back here, we read it in verse 17, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. He says, listen, even though you have money in your hand, don't trust in it. Our trust needs to be in God. 
And although he may put money into our hands, we can't look to that to be what is our rescue to our life situations. We need to look to God. And uh, that's a very important principle that we're going to see come up again. In fact, I would even go on to say this. In the Old Testament, where the, the Israelites were commanded to tithe, and I wasn't sure where to put tithing into this message. I had it in one place and moved it to another. And so, lest I leave it out. right? You look back in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers. Again, Moses is instructing the people. In Numbers 18, he's teaching them about tithing. And tithe is simply the word for a tenth. And so, yes, they were commanded to give a tithe, which then was a tenth of the things that they possessed. And sometimes that was grain. Sometimes that was a part of various crops. Sometimes it was part of their cattle. They were to come offer these things to God. And um, in Numbers 18, he said, and I thought this was very interesting. Forgive me one second. I sent you to the other passage on tithing. Deuteronomy 14 is where I meant to have you go. Deuteronomy 14. Deuteronomy 14, he says, when you... You shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to place his name, a tithe of your grain, your new wine, and your oil, and the firstborn of your herds and your flocks. So he's teaching them, you're going to bring all these things as a tithe to the place I tell you. But listen to what he says, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Now, if you're looking for a reason God wants us to give, not only has he commanded it, not only has he said that it's going to guard our hearts and make sure it's in the right place, don't look at the money as your savior, you look to me. He says, here's part of the reason I told them to bring the tithe in the Old Testament, so that they will learn to fear me. They will learn to reverence me the way I should be. And I gather from that as he told them to bring their first fruits and all those things. Listen, he's saying this. Yes, I know you feel like you need 100% of what you've gathered in to make sure you survive. You don't know if the rest of the crop is coming in. You don't know if you're going to have a flat tire this week. You don't know if the horse that's pulling your cart so you can plow the field is going to get a broken leg. You don't know those things. But if you're going to give me first place in your life, you bring the first fruits of how you increase also. And you trust me to make the rest of that 90% go as far as it needs to. I remember hearing a message on tithing from, from a pastor. And uh, he said, you know, I always saw in the, in the scriptures that people were to bring in the tithes and they gave it to the Levites. And he said those are kind of like the full-time workers and priests in the Old Testament. They kind of picture the New Testament pastors. And he said, so I never tithed. I never gave. I was receiving from the people who worked. And, and uh, finally one day he saw that, that it said that the priests were to tithe from the tithe they received. And he said, I've never been doing that. And I wasn't making a lot of money as a pastor, he said, but... And so I was kind of afraid to do it, but I was kind of embarrassed that here I'm teaching everybody else and I haven't been doing it. So he said, I started to tithe. And he said, you know what I found? My 90% went farther than my 80, my 100% had ever gone. I thought, what a testimony. Remember the Israelites going through the wilderness and their shoes didn't wear out until they got to the promised land and they didn't need those shoes anymore and God allowed them to wear out. God has a mysterious way of meeting our needs. And that's what he promises us in the New Testament, right? My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And if we get God's heart for giving, it'll keep our hearts in the right place, fixed on him and not our wallets, so that our, our trust, our reverence, our first place is where it should be with him. So that's one of the reasons he tells us to give. Not only that, he tells us in... in uh, Matthew 6, that we can lay up treasures in heaven. The way we use 
the resources God has given to us in this world actually can accumulate for us treasures in heaven. We can't take our money with us. And he says we can actually lay away treasures in heaven. And one way we do that, Paul told the Philippians in chapter 4, listen, time and again you've sent help to me to help me in my time of need when I was without. And he said, not that I want the gift. He said, he was thanking them. And he said, listen, my focus is not on the gift. It's not like I'm at, telling you this so that you'll give me more. But he says, listen, what I want to see is that your account in heaven is filled for you. God was, ta- was taking note of their giving and he said he was making an account in heaven for them because of the things that they were doing here on earth. And so their investing in his ministry was actually to their benefit in heaven. Philippians 4.17. We can lay up treasures for us in heaven. God rewards our service for him. Hebrews 13. We read that we were thinking about New Testament priesthood this morning. And uh, not only does it say we bring the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, but he also says in Hebrews 13, 15 mentions the fruit of our lips. 16 says to remember to do good and to share. He says because with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. God is pleased. When we have a heart like his that is ready to give, it's part of our priestly ministry. Not only do we go in to pray and worship before God, but as we go out amongst one another and we share and give, it's part of our priesthood, service to God, those sacrifices are acceptable to him and pleasing. And of course, we're stewards. All good reasons to give. But, uh, okay. So you say, I'm unconvinced, Dave, we're supposed to give. Well, how are we supposed to give? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. We do have a pattern. And if you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians 16, we're going to slow down our flipping in the Bible for a bit, and we're going to camp here. Because there are a few passages that seem to really dig in and give us in one place the principles and patterns to help us in this area. Listen, giving was not natural for me. Growing up, I, 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 I didn't have a whole lot of shekels to rub together. My friend used to say I made Abe Lincoln scream every time someone pulled that coin out from my fingers because uh, I, I didn't want to squander what little I had. Um, but then learning to be generous and to share with others was not easy for me. Uh, it wasn't natural. And so I need to see these patterns in the Bible to help me in my own discipleship in this area of giving. So I'm just going to read a few of these verses here. And uh, if you'll walk through them with me. He says this, 1 Corinthians 16, starting in verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whether you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And I'm going to stop right there for just a second. So what we learn is that there were a group of churches that were in need. And Paul had made the need known to several other churches to say, listen, your brothers and sisters down in Judea, they've gone through a famine, they're going through a difficult time, they've had persecution, they need help. And there was a number of churches that responded and said, we want to help. 
And Corinth was one of them. And so he's writing to them in his letter to explain to them how they ought to be practicing their giving so that when he comes, he can take this collection and carry it on to the need, to the needs of the saints whom they've been thinking about, right? And so what we see here is a pattern of instruction that Paul gives them. Notice he says in verse one, concerning this collection for the saints, as I had given orders to the churches. He said, listen, so you must do also. I've given these instructions, orders, if you will, for you to carry out. So it is a pattern that he was expecting them to follow and we can learn from it as well. So what is it that he says they must do? Well, he says in verse two, on the first day of the week, let each of you lay something aside. We see that he's talking about something that should happen periodically, right? He says on the first day of the week, it's a specific time. It's not just kind of when I remember and just kind of go, oh yeah, maybe I should give something. No, he says, listen, put it on the calendar. When you start your week on the first day of the week, set something aside. Now, the reason, now you'll notice if you're one of the visitors here, some churches you go to, they pass an offering plate every meeting. I've been a part of churches like that. And um, I remember one of my friends one time telling me, man, they pass that plate all the time. I mean, Wednesday night, Sunday night, every meeting. We passed it. What was really embarrassing was sometimes we in the youth group had sat in the back to sit in on the meeting and the offering plate was one of those silver plates with no cover on it. And so you could see whatever people put in and it gets to the back and it was one dollar in the plate. You're like, wow, maybe that's why they keep passing it. But he says, but we choose to pass an offering after the Lord's Supper, because we, we believe it's part of our worship to the Lord. And most of those who come are part of this local fellowship, and we understand that. And so we don't think we're just trying to get rich and get people's money. The rest of the folks, when they come, we want to offer the Word of God freely, without any confusion, that they think if they just put a check in the plate, that that gives them some credit with God. No money's going to buy our way into heaven. A lot of confusion over that over the years, right? Uh, I remember... Martin Luther, one of the things he strongly challenged is the priests would go around acting all all, all, all uh, poor and needy and, and, and extorting people, guilting them into giving money and even promising spiritual blessings for their money. And, and we hear about that sometimes on TV today, but that's not God's word. It's part of our worship for those who know him. But uh, he says, on the first day of the week, the first day of the week, Acts 20 tells us is when they came to worship the Lord and have the Lord's Supper. So he says, listen, when you come together on the first day of the week, let each of you do this. And so the, the first day comes around every week, right? So it's not only periodic, but regular, perpetual. And so it, it's constantly coming. It's something that we ought to continually be visiting regularly. And so it's perpetual there. And then he says, who ought to be doing this? Let each one of you do it. It's, uh, it's something that's very personal. Each of us are supposed to be doing this work of giving. He says, let each of you lay something aside and, uh, uh, I would say to lay something aside means that it's been purposefully thought out, right? It's purposeful giving. Not just kind of, oh, no, I forgot. Let me just take whatever's there. But but when I'm thinking, listen, God, this is part of my worship to you, and, and I know that there's needs, and, and how much would you have me to give? And I'm going to set it aside in the privacy of my own heart and life to give to God. And so it was a personal but also a purposeful giving. Now, I missed one word, if you notice. It says, on the first day of the week. Why not the end of the week after I made sure I had enough to get through? We've already kind of visited that, but Solomon said in Proverbs 3, listen, give to the Lord out of the first of your increase. 
in order that your vats will be full and your barns full with grain. God wants us to give to him first. He wants first place in all things. And that includes our giving. And we can trust him to help what we have left to meet our needs or else he'll provide for us in some other way. We can trust him with this. Um, I hate to, bring, to, to use too many personal illustrations, but I'll never forget this one particular time. I was on a mission trip and uh, we went to a missionary conference and I remember thinking, uh, they challenged us to give to a particular need. And uh, and so I, in my own heart, I felt like God was saying, you need to give to that. And so in my mind, I, I remember there was a certain amount of money that I said, I felt like God, that God wanted me to, to give to that. And I said, okay, Lord, I'll uh, I'll send that 50 rand off to that need. And uh, I didn't have it with me. It was back at the house. And uh, anyways, so the conference was over. And I went and I uh, uh, I told the, the missionary I wanted to send it back to him, got the, 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 the address to send it. But, you know, before we got home where I could send it, the guy I was living with asked me if I could pay for the money I owed him for the food that we had eaten the last two weeks. And so I went back and I said, okay, I have that. And so I gave it to him. And I only had like 20 left besides the 50. I'd already said I was going to give to the Lord. And uh, we went back. And um, I knew that I was going to have to pay for the food again the next week. And so I waited. Like, how am I going to pay for the food? If I send this money off to the missionary, I'm not going to have it. But I, I, I remember uh, there's a verse we're going to look at in 2 Corinthians 9. It says, that your gift not be affected by covetousness. And I thought, Lord, I, I'm desiring that money for myself that I've already dedicated to you. I don't know how I'm going to pay for the food money next week, but okay, I'm going to send that off to the missionary. The week ended, no money came, but they didn't ask me for my food money either. And so I was praying. I was like, Lord, I don't know what to do. I can't ask them to pay for it because they don't have very much money themselves. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, a whole week went by and still no money and they still didn't ask, so I didn't say anything. Well, then Wednesday of the next week, a letter came from the United States. Now, it takes three weeks for a letter to get to Africa where I was, and someone did something totally insane. They sent me a really nice letter. That wasn't the insane part. They told me all about how the Miami Dolphins were doing and what was going on in South Florida. I was very nice to hear. Um, but they also taped a $100 bill in a letter going to a third world country. And it made it to me. And the day after it arrived, as after I thanked God profusely for sending money, because that was a whole lot more African money than it was American money, and then they came in the next day and said, oh, by the way, you owe us such and such for the money. Oh, no problem. I got that in my room. But it's American money, by the way. And uh, I never told them. But God provided for me out of my need when I had responded in obedience to his giving. We can trust him. We can trust him. And he says, listen, if God lays on your heart, lay it aside. Give it as he prospers you, as he leads you, and set it aside regularly, purposefully, as he moves in your heart. And he says, verse 2, store it up as you may prosper. Listen, we, we prosper differently. Some of us get paid by the month. Some of us get paid by the week. Some of us get paid by the job. Uh, and so he, God knows that. And so uh, if, if we're not prospering, he's not going to expect the same kind of response to the needs around us as those of us who are. And that's okay. He says to give it proportionately as God may prosper us. He says, so that no collections may 
be need to be made when I come. Listen, God wants this to be pressure free. That's different than what we experience today, isn't it? I've come to the point where I throw away a lot of the Christian ministry letters that come my way asking for money. Because they're putting pressure. God doesn't want us to feel pressured to give. It should be free from our hearts. And if God moves in our hearts, give. But let's not make each other feel guilty in order to extort money from each other. God's not about that. He says, listen, as he prospers you, store it up little by little so that there's no pressure situation when I come. And then he says, on top of that, uh, when I do come, uh, whoever you want to go with me, if you want them to go, if you just send letters of approval, we'll bring it to where it's supposed to go. So it's going to be properly handled. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the next chapter. But these are some patterns. Listen, God wants us to give regularly, personally, intentionally, without pressure, freely, so that we can give. And when we give, he says, handle it properly. Handle it well so that it's honoring to God, even the way that gift is handled. So that's a little bit of the pattern, but the principles that go along with that, that's how I'm going to differentiate. Paul writes to them again. He sends this letter and expects them to start, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he goes into more detail. Now, <laughs> uh, by this time, other churches have begun to give. They've heard about it, and there's a reason in Macedonia, near where the Galatians are, where they have already sent their gift. And Paul is going to talk a little bit about them in this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 to encourage the Corinthians to follow through on their own response to the need that they heard about the year before, right? So probably a year or so has gone by, and we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and Paul's writing to the same church group, and they've already seen the pattern, but now look what he says, starting in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 8. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction... The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. And so we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Now, I speak not by commandment, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. It's to your advantage, not only to be doing what you began to and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For there is first, if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what a man has, and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased, that you burdened, but by an equality, that now at, la at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. And we'll just stop right there. So he's writing to them. Notice verses 1 through 5, he's talking about the Macedonians. He said, listen, 
Look what God has done in them. This is why we call it grace giving, right? He says, look at the grace of God that was bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So he's not just talking about the giving being a gracious thing to the person receiving the gift. He says, God has done a work of grace in the Macedonians who gave the gift. And so the grace of God shown in this ministry of giving is very large. He says, it's a grace work that God did in the giver because it's God's goodwill and loving kindness and favor that is realized and exposed through this process of giving. But the very gift itself is a token of that grace and those who receive it see it that way. But he said, these people, verse two, were in great affliction. They were going through difficult times themselves. It says, out of their deep poverty, there abounded this liberality, riches of liberality. They were generous in their giving. In fact, it says they went beyond their ability. They left themselves somewhat lacking, trying to give so much to be a help to these other saints who were lacking, but it was just because their heart was so full, it says that out of the joy, verse 2, the abundance of their joy (laughs) led to this. And they were freely willing, verse 3 it says, to give this gift. And so let me just highlight, we're talking about grace giving. That is the pattern seen all the way through here. Freely given out of overflow of of a heart full of the grace of God. And this is the pattern. This is where God wants us to begin. That's where he wanted the Corinthians to begin. And uh, I think he was a little concerned that they were not going to give the kind of gift that they had responded a year before. And so he wants to stir them up to consider the grace of God because God has ministered the same grace to them. But he said, look at this pattern here, the principle that the Macedonians followed. First, it says, verse 5, they gave themselves to the Lord. I call this dedication. They dedicated themselves in their entirety to God. They just laid themselves out before God saying, listen, you've done this for me, Lord. I love you, and I want to walk in harmony with you. That was step one. And it was because they had done that, it says, then to us, they gave themselves to us by the will of God. Because of their own interaction with God, they were moved. This is the will of God that I that I respond to this need. And so they were obedient to that need, right? First, they gave themselves to God in dedication. Second, when the Lord revealed what to do, they were obedient and they gave. So that is the, is the proper order for our giving. We should really give ourselves to God first. Romans 12, 1 and 2 lays it out for us. But then he says, listen, Verse 7, but as you abound in everything else, and he lists a bunch of gifts, he says, see that you abound in this grace too. It's a decision of their will. He says, I want you to choose to be abounding in this grace just like you are in all the other gifts that you've received from God. Abound in it. It's an act of your will to choose to do it. So he exhorted them to make a decision. But he says, listen, I'm not trying to command you but it's going to reveal the sincerity of your love. You can see by the display of the Macedonians, the love that poured out from them. You responded a year ago saying, oh yes, we want to do this great work, and they promised a bountiful gift. But he said, listen, uh, the proof of that, the sincerity of that is going to be tested by your response, even as it was in the Macedonians. And uh, then he says in verse 8, No, verse 9 is where I want to go. So he says, listen, the example is not just the Macedonians, but you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Listen, it's one thing to be motivated by someone else who gives a lot. 
And sometimes on the uh, on the radio or wherever you'll hear about matching gifts. And oh yeah, uh, 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 this person will give this much if you give this much. And it's kind of like, wait a minute. So he's not going to give unless I do. Uh, that's not really the pattern I see here. But but or other times people say, hey, listen. I gave, why don't you consider, and they're trying to encourage us by the example of someone else, but listen, the ultimate example, Jesus Christ, he gave everything. He was in heaven, and all the riches that he had there, but we considered this morning that he emptied himself, he humbled himself, made himself a servant, he became poor, gave all, even the death on the cross. Why? Not because he had to, he was freely willing, and he gave everything he had to save us. This is the grace of God towards us. And he says, you can abound in this grace too by pouring out of yourself first to God and as he directs, you just obey. And it was in obedience. The father asked the son to die on the cross. And he said, I'm willing. I come to do your will, God. And he went all the way to the cross and never held back. What an example. Listen, this morning, I don't want to be so focused on money that we forget the value of the soul. The real estate market goes up and down. Why? Why do prices fluctuate? Because that is what people are willing to pay. The value of the house may be saying one thing online, but when it comes right down to it, if someone's not willing to pay that price, it's not really worth that today. And sometimes they say, it should only be this, but they're paying this. They're offering even more because that's what it's valued in the eyes of the buyer. And your soul was valued so highly by God that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. And if you've never received the gift of eternal life by putting your trust in him, I just want to encourage you today, don't leave this room without knowing that the grace that God has shown to you, demonstrated when he came to earth to save us, is yours. It's your possession. That's the grace that we want you to know about. And brothers and sisters, if you already know that, let us follow his example and learn to live a life of grace. He says, listen, it's to your advantage that you do this. Verse 10. I give you this advice. It's your advantage. You began and desired to do it a year ago, but now complete it. I think I wrote in there. To complete follow through, right? Um, there's a reward God gives our obedience, but we have to follow through. It's not just a desire, but the obedience needs to follow, and we will experience it. Now, this part gets a little confusing. I wanted to walk, make sure I, I didn't skip over it too quickly. The part here in verse 12. There's first a willing mind. It's accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. He says, I don't mean that others should be eased while you're burdened, but so that there can be an equality. Your surplus may help bring someone up out of their need and poverty. So that if you're ever in a place of need, others who have an abundance can share with you so that there's a leveling off and we can all have enough together in equality. And um, that was the example when they used to collect the manna. That's what's being quoted in verse 15. As it is written, back in Exodus 16, God said, when you collect your manna every day, just get enough for today. Don't try to store it up for tomorrow because it's going to spoil. But as you go back and you start to make your breakfast, hey, listen, maybe you realize you took more than you needed. Well, go outside and see if there's someone other family that maybe someone woke up extra hungry today and they're, they're, they're man, man, we don't have enough. And you can share and they can, you can, out of your extra, you share with them, and someday uh, one of your kids are suddenly growing a hollow leg, and, and they'll help you and be able to eat. And, and um, he said, this is the principle that he's thinking of. And uh, so he says, listen, if you had a desire to give, 
Maybe you've heard about a need and you said, oh man, I really wish I could give to such and such, but I just don't have the money right now. Can I encourage you with something? I did this once because when I traveled around with the Christian ministry, we were making 50 bucks a month. And there were people that I'd meet and ministries I knew about. I was like, man, I wish I could send something to this missionary. And I put a little teeny post-it note in my wallet and said, $20 to so-and-so. $15 to so-and-so. And along the way, God would bring in extra gifts. And suddenly I realized, hey, I got an extra 20 bucks. I'm going to send it. And what a neat thing it was to finally get to a point where I could cross it off and say, hey, I sent it. God provided because God wasn't expecting me to give if I didn't have it. But when I did, now it's acceptable to him based on what I have, not on what I don't have. And you know, maybe you have desired to give and felt you couldn't do it. Can I just encourage you not to feel guilty about what you cannot do? But to rejoice when God provides so that you can do what he's put in your heart to do. That's what's acceptable to him, not the guilt of what we can't do. Because he understands. Someday you're going to have an abundance and he's going to call upon you and say, hey, remember how people shared with you? Share with someone else. And it will be a joy like the Macedonians to be a part of that. And so this is part of the principles that are part of God's plan for grace giving. Not to put guilt trips, but simply out of the overflow of our heart as we give ourselves to God. Now when it comes to the administration of the gifts, and I'm sorry, I'm trying to get through this. In verse 16, or verse 16, he talks about how to handle the gift. And you know, We've tried to follow this pattern here in our own chapel. From time to time, we realize we're not being maybe as earnest as we should in this. But he told him in verse 16, um, I'm sending Titus along because notice the earnest care that he has for you in the heart of Titus. He says, if you're handling the word of God, this gift that's come, rather, you should be earnest in the way that you care for it. Verse 17, he says, for he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. He was willing and he was asked. He was seen as someone who would be a help in that work, someone who had the character to do it. And so he was asked and he received the exhortation and went of his own accord. He accepted the answer of his heart. Then he says in verse 18, we've also sent with him the brother whose praises in the gospel through all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with the gift. Listen, there was a second party involved to go along with them. Titus in the counting of it, in the handling of it, so that they could make sure that uh, the praiseworthy character of each of them could be preserved in the process of administering the gift that God had given. So he goes on to highlight that. He says, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift, which is administrated by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but in the sight of men. Listen, if you were asked to be one of the counters of, a, of an offering that came in, God would know whether you're honest or not. But he says, we do what we do so that we can bring glory to God. No one can bring an accusation against us, but that we can be honorable not only in the sight of God, but in the sight of men. That's what the Bible talks about being above reproach. And those who want to serve the Lord, especially those who would be elders, he says, listen, we need to be above reproach. It doesn't mean being perfect, but we deal with things and we handle things in a way that no one can accuse us of something that's not true and we can have an honorable life before God. And he says that's the way we ought to handle the gifts that are given by God's people. Diligence given, verse 20, avoiding this, and anyone should blame us. Oh, I already read that, sorry. And so... Good exhortation. 
to make sure that we're handling God's gifts God's way. Oh man, I didn't leave myself enough time. It's, it, there's a lot here. But if I could just highlight a couple things from chapter 9. He comes back to the actual collection that's coming. I'm going to jump up to verse 5. I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time to prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that it may be a matter of ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. He said, listen, I've sent them ahead to remind you so that when I come, we're not going to have that pressure situation. I don't want you to go, oh man, I, got, I said I was going to give it here. No, God, God doesn't want us to give out of that. And that's the passage that I believe it's the New American Standard that says, and not affected by covetousness. And we won't be held back by the wrong heart attitude. He says, listen, there's a sowing and, prince, sowing and reaping principle in verse 6. So he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. God says, listen, just like a farmer, if he doesn't put much seed out there, he's not getting a big crop. And the grace of God is, is huge, and he wants us to be able to share in it in a big way. And so don't be afraid to sow, knowing that God will help to reap. So much so that he says, give it cheerfully, verse 7. Let each one give as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, but for God loves a cheerful giver. And he says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, you may have an abundance for every good work. <laughs> he says, listen, the same God who's given you his grace in Jesus Christ is able to make you have enough. Not only to meet your need, but he goes on in verses uh, 9 and 10 to make it very clear that he will multiply the seed that you've sown increasing that back to yourself so that you can give more. Isn't that interesting? I heard someone say once, there's a gift of giving. It's one of the spiritual gifts. And they said this, to whoever God gives the gift of giving, he also gives the gift of getting. Because you can't give what you don't have. And so when God knows that we're willing to share, he'll give us so we can pass along. But if he, he knows that we're going to hold on to it ourselves, he'll give it to someone else who'll give. He says, if you enter in this process with the Lord, yes, you'll scatter that seed, but he knows how to bring it back to us so we'll have more again. And not just to meet our own need, but to share with someone else. And then he'll bring it back. And and and, and to the point where, uh, um, I think it was George Mueller, he was given 90% of what came through his hands and given off a tent. Because God kept bringing him more because he was so willing to pass it along. And uh, there's a lot of people who have shared that testimony over the years, that God knows that. Now, this is a dangerous passage. If you look on TV, they'll tell you, listen, send your seed money, and God will bless you. And um, while they're flashing gold rings and watches that I'll never maybe ever own, and I'm thinking, maybe, listen, we're trying to do a good work down here. Why don't you send your seed money to me and let God bless you? But they don't want it to work that direction, right? So we can't abuse this. This is abused all the time. But not, not out of guilt, but listen, if you feel God touching your heart to give, can I just encourage you, like the Macedonians, give. Look to him. Because he said he can bring back the necessary seed we need to keep sowing in our own life and to share with someone else. We can trust him. If it's him who's leading us, he wants this gracious work to happen. And so he says he will do that. It's, it's a, it's an amazing thing. And, um, God will supply all our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And what, what is the result? Let me just read you this. He says, verse 11, While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Listen, the people whose needs are met, they thank God for it. Not only that, he says, their thanksgiving abounds to God, but he says even this, verse 14, their prayer for you 
suddenly they have a heart for you. You know what? Jesus said it this way to his disciples. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so if you struggle to have an eternal perspective, can I encourage you to send your treasure to something eternal? That your heart will be there? If uh, if your heart's already there, your money's going to be going there. But if you say, you know what? Dave, I really don't have a heart for giving. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Ask the Lord to show you where you can direct your treasure. And then your heart will be in eternal things. And you'll be laying up treasures for yourself in heaven where God rewards you someday. Now, where we give all that money, we need to look for the Lord's direction. I'll just encourage you with these few thoughts. The poor. Paul was exhorted by the apostles, don't neglect the poor. He said, my heart was already there. When Judas was sent out to betray Jesus, the rest of the disciples thought, well, Jesus must have sent him to go get the, to go give some money to the poor. Because that's something the Lord Jesus did regularly. Um, and to give to where the Holy Spirit is bringing uh, a blessing your way spiritually to return with, to missionaries, to full-time workers, to the local church. But don't neglect your family. Um, the Bible says if we forget our own family in the process of trying to be holy, uh, even in our giving, we're deceiving ourselves and we're dishonoring God, we're dishonoring our family. First Timothy 5 says that's worse than an unbeliever. So let us take care of our immediate family, our church family, those serving God, those investing in us, and let's give ourselves to God and look for his direction. Father, this is a a, a, a full passage, a full uh, set of principles and Maybe we're doing great on some and struggling on others. But you understand, these things are acceptable to you based on what we have, not what we don't have. You didn't tell them to us to, to give us a guilt trip, but to invite us to just give ourselves to you, to fully trust you, to know that you are trustworthy, and that our that your grace would overflow in our own hearts. And then as that happens, Lord, you'll show us how to share that grace with those around us. Father, we thank you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus, who gave himself so graciously on the cross for us as the ultimate example and gave his all. And Lord, forgive us for the ways that we sometimes are affected by covetousness. We live in a material world and uh, we think of ourselves first most of the time. But we ask that you give us the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, who although he was in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, and was obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. We lift him up this morning as our ultimate example. We we lift him up as the Savior, who because of what he did can redeem every soul. They'll turn to him. We just pray that you would draw all men to yourself as we proclaim this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.